We're in the third and obviously last uh, Christmas message for this season. We talked about witnessing this Christmas season, taking advantage of the opportunities we have to do what shepherds and angels did and just tell others what Christ has meant to us, witnessing. We've talked about worshiping this Christmas season as well. This morning we're talking about wonder, uh, wonder related to Christmas. And we'll actually be looking at this in two Two different ways, two different lights. Wonder in the sense of what a wonder or what a marvel or how incredible the incarnation is in and of itself. It is a wonder. It's something to marvel or wonder at. The wonder of Christ's deity becoming man. No small thing. What a wonder that is. The second way we'll look at wonder is wonder as a question. That is, I wonder this Christmas season... Do we rightly value uh, the gift that is Christ himself? I wonder, do we rightly value the gift that is Christ himself? Let's start with the wonder of the incarnation. And <clears throat> I don't know what it says about me and my illustrations, but the one that really hit me this morning and came to me about the incarnation was Freaky Friday, that deep theological Walt Disney movie from some years back. Yeah, Tom, you know what I'm talking about. Freaky Friday. In fact, I think there's actually been one or two other movies along this same theme. But if you haven't seen it, Freaky Friday is a story where a mom and daughter who basically complain at each other that the other one's really got the blessed golden life, well, they wake up one Freaky Friday to find that they've been transformed into the body of the other. So the daughter wakes up as the mom, the mom wakes up as the daughter. And they find out that each other's life is not so golden. But this was the theme of Freaky Friday, this transformation from one person to another. You can imagine it'd be a jolt to your system. You wake up and you're your husband or your sibling or somebody across the street or whatever. It'd be a jolt to the system. This transformation would be uh, hard to get used to. The idea would be a difficult one to adjust to. Um, It would would strain your credulity, so to speak. Hard to believe. Um, That'd be one, one, thing, one way to look at the incarnation, Rachel, is Freaky Friday. But then take that, take that a step further. I mean, your daughter, you become your mom, somewhat close, not that big a deal, sort of, in some ways. But what if your transformation wasn't so much horizontal? What if it was more vertical in the downward direction? That is, you know, what if you're the king, say, and you wake up as, uh, you know, Joe the pauper, you trade a life of good looks and wealth and power and prestige, and your transformation becomes to one of uh, not good looks and no power and no prestige, whatever. That would be even harder to assimilate. That transformation would be even harder to get used to. Or take it even a step further than that. Let's say that your transformation wasn't to another human, but it was to a subhuman. Let's say that your transformation was you woke up as a, a dog or a cat or a caterpillar. That one day you're you, you're human, and the next you're not. You're something less than human. And of course, in that kind of transformation, unlike human to human, when you go human to non-human, you lose attributes of humanity you would lose your ability to think or perceive or think in significant and meaningful ways. You would take on other attributes that you might not find so welcome also. So 
this freaky Friday thing, this thing about I'm, I'm one thing and now I'm transformed in a moment into another, uh, take that and apply that to Jesus, to the incarnation. And you know, he's all of the above. His freaky Friday is he goes to sleep, as it were, God the Son, ruler of heaven and earth, and he wakes up with a dirty diaper in an animal trough. I mean, think of it like that. His Freaky Friday was the greatest descent imaginable. In fact, I would say it's unimaginable. It is beyond wonder. It's hard to conceive. The incarnation is a miracle of miracles. The descent Jesus was willing to make for you and for me is hard to fathom. It is a wonder. Now, besides this transformation, think of the geographical transformation, too. Not to disparage anyone that lives in or likes East Topeka, but I used to live, or I used to work in East Topeka as a firefighter. And there are portions of East Topeka that I wouldn't want to live in. They're squalor. I mean, physically, you look at the buildings, they're falling in, the roofs leak, the yards are trashed. Or if you come in contact with some of the lives of the people that live there, there's every kind of abuse you can imagine drugs, each other, you name it. I mean, it's just, it's squalor. And it was not infrequently that I would drive to a call in East Topeka on the fire engine, or I would drive home from East Topeka, and literally this is what went through my mind. Lord, it would be hell on earth for you to ask me to live in these portions of East Topeka. It would be hell on earth for me to have to live over here. It's everything I detest. I don't mean just look down on it. I just mean I don't like disorder. I don't like care. I like things the way they're supposed to be. And as I think about that, I would think in my mind, Lord, I suppose that's kind of what it was like for you, living in East Topeka. You know, that you, you transferred from 1600 New Jerusalem Boulevard to 1500 East Topeka. That's what it would be like. There's this personal transformation of deity to humanity. And then there's this geographical transformation from the glories of heaven to the streets, as it were, of East Topeka. The descent, the distance, if you will, of the incarnation is a wonder. It's hard to believe. It's hard to conceive. These aren't great analogies, I know, but they're the best I could come up with. Think of this, too. Think of who Christ was before the incarnation. Now, this is... This is you remember uh, John says, no man has ever seen God the Father. We haven't seen God the Father. That means in the Old Testament, when someone saw God, it wasn't the Father. It was the Son. These theophanies, these appearances of the divine on earth, were Jesus Christ the Son. So when God walks with Adam and Eve in the garden, that's not the Father. That's Jesus. Or think of it this way. The one of thunder and lightning on Mount Sinai. That's Jesus the Son. The earthquake, the trumpet blast so loud. These weren't from musical instruments. This was the presence of God coming down to earth. So awesome that the people are shrieking and turning away. This is the one who now chooses to coo as a little baby. Or the one who spoke the worlds into existence. He's the one who now has chosen to learn to speak one word at a time like anyone else born on planet Earth. This is the one in heaven who was the center of every eye. Read any of the passages about heaven, and the attention is always on Christ. 
This is one who is the center of attention in heaven, and now he's a nondescript little Jewish boy in the corner of the Roman Empire, in a relatively unimportant corner of the Roman Empire. This is the one who is the object of worship in heaven. This is the one to whom every knee bows in heaven. This is the one who will come to earth to be spit upon and crucified as a young adult. Again, the transformation, the distance of the descent is just about beyond belief. Paul describes this as best he can in Philippians 2 when he says of Jesus, he existed in the form of God, but he didn't regard, this is in his humanity, didn't regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but instead he emptied himself, that is of his divine prerogatives. He emptied himself taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And I mentioned this before, but this is is a picture of a ladder. Not going up to heaven, but coming down. And every step is a great big giant step. So he emptied himself of his divine prerogatives. He took the form, Paul says, of a slave. Not just a human, but of a slave. He took on our humanity... He humbled himself as a man to death, and not just to any death, but to death on a cross, which, of course, only the lowest and worst criminals were crucified. So he comes from the highest height possible, deity, to the lowest low possible, the worst of criminals crucified on a cross. This is the dimension, if you will, or the transformation that Jesus' Freaky Friday brought him to, from the highest height to the lowest low, from a creature of sublime intelligence, omniscience, omnipotence, to a caterpillar, as it were, emptying himself of the divine prerogatives to become like you and I. So this Christmas season, related to wonder, try to think about, just meditate a little bit on the immensity of the eternal God taking on humanity to become like you and I. Or this Christmas season, related to the wonder of Jesus coming to this earth at all, thank God the Father for his willingness to get rid of, for a time, the only thing that in the end really mattered to him at all, which was his Son. The willingness of God the Father to send the Son to earth to become sin for you and I. Or this Christmas, thank Jesus for the unfathomable descent he took on in the Incarnation and gained some sense again of wonder about the Incarnation. You know, I think the truth is most of us, we like the manger scenes, we like the stories and songs geared to kids, but the Incarnation challenges our thinking as far as it can be challenged. Because what Jesus gave up and what he left to become us is unfathomable. So for us to meditate this Christmas season just a little bit on the wonder that is the incarnation, this is enough of a challenge for any of us. Just think about who he was, what he was, what he gave up, what he became. This is a wonder. The second wonder is the question, wonder is a question, I wonder, do we value Christ appropriately or rightly this Christmas season? 
Remember we looked at wise men in Matthew 2 last week related to worship, and I want to start with them this morning again. It says in Matthew 2, verse 10, When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And then they came into the house. They saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And I don't want to focus so much on worship here, which is what they're doing, but on value. They brought what to you or I or to others in their day were incredibly costly or wealthy treasures, this gold, frankincense and myrrh, these, these, uh, these pungent aromatics, these were very, very expensive. They were hard to get. So all these things that were presented here were very, very costly. But when the wise men see Christ... They take these things that were of immense value and they simply dump them out before him because they recognize in him greater worth. They had treasures or gifts of a sort, costly, valuable, expensive. But in the light of Christ and in the light of who he was, their gifts were trinkets to put at his feet. They lost their value, as it were, in light of his value. The wise men, when they came and worshipped, it's because they recognized the greater value that was Christ. The value wasn't their trinkets in their presence. The value was in Christ. So it was easy to give up the presence and the gifts they had because they valued what was really inherently worthwhile and valuable, the Lord himself. And I asked myself this Christmas season, Do I, do you and I, do we value Christ like the wise men do? Do the things we otherwise value in life, do the trinkets you and I can hold on to for a season here, do they lose their significance in light of who Christ is? And can we say at any time with the wise men, can we say, Lord, what I've got is yours. The house, the car, the job, the career, the reputation, whatever it is. Can we with the wise men, because we recognize the inherent value and worth of Christ, say, Lord, anything I've got that I value, it's insignificant compared to who you are and your value. And so it's yours. Anything I have, I give to you, I lay at your feet. See, we can't do that if we don't recognize his worth. So this Christmas season, do we value Christ like the wise men did? It makes me wonder. Uh, Moses valued Christ rightly, and I can say this because Hebrews does. Now, of course, Moses didn't know Jesus Christ by name, but he knew God was going to send a Messiah. And so he had trust or faith in God's Messiah, who is Jesus Christ. Listen to what Hebrews 11 says of Moses and his estimation of value related to Jesus. Hebrews eleven twenty four through 26, By faith, Moses, when he'd grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. This Christmas season, when you're thinking of gifts and things that are valuable, at least for a season, think about Moses. It says, he considered the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. He didn't just consider Christ better than Egypt. He considered suffering shame or rejection for Christ's sake better than the riches of Egypt. 
He had the mentality of the early apostles. Do you remember when they're whipped by the Jewish leaders? It says they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. They thought simply being identified with Jesus Christ, that was reward. That was value. Not just knowing him, even being identified with him. That's what this says of Moses. He thought that it was better to go out into the desert with this group of slaves being mocked by the Egyptians he left behind. This was better than all that Egypt had to offer because he recognized the value of Messiah, which of course is what Christ means. Christos is the anointed one, the Messiah. Moses was not unlike you and I in that he lived in the wealthiest nation in the world in his day. Egypt was the top of the heap when Moses was there, and he was at the top of the heap in Egypt. Raised in Pharaoh's household, he could have anything he wanted. So this would be like you and I being raised in the president's house or Bill Gates' house. It would be like living in the wealthiest nation on earth and having at our disposal anything we wanted, the wealth to get anything we wanted, and the willingness to see in that a trinket, if you will, like the wise men, compared to knowing the person of Christ. Moses valued Christ rightly. And this Christmas season, I wonder if I do. Paul did too. Let me read you this out of Philippians 3. We read Philippians 2. This is what Paul says in Philippians 3. And you remember Paul was a great academic. He was an important person in Jewish society before he became a Christian. He would be well-to-do financially. He would be esteemed publicly. He was a PhD of his day, so he had respect and power. But this is what he said when he looked back at his life before he knew Christ. He said, whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. He continues and says, One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus question. In the season of giving gifts and receiving gifts, what gift or gifts stand above the rest in your mind and mine? And when we tally up our Christmas haul, where does Christ fit into the wide scheme of things? This Christmas, can you and I say with Paul, I count Christmas gifts loss in view of knowing Christ. Or I count all the good food at Christmas dinner loss compared to to knowing Christ, or I count my home, my car, my good looks, whatever you've got, whatever we've got, I count all that I used to value as a loss compared to knowing Christ. It's not that any of these things are inherently deficient. He just says compared to Christ. These things lack value. In fact, it's interesting, he says they're rubbish. They're rubbish. We would say trash. Uh, one of the themes here of the pictures is this is like when you've eaten your dinner and the chicken bone and the scraps are left. What do you do with that? You scrape it off into the trash. That's the picture. 
Paul says, compared to knowing Christ, everything else in life that I used to value, it's like what's left over after dinner that I just throw away. And again, not because it has no value. It's the comparison to knowing Christ. See, Paul got it that to know and love God, that's the only thing that matters in the end. If we don't know that, if we don't have that, we don't have anything of value. So Paul had it right. He said, compared to anything else, knowing Christ, that's the thing. He rightly valued Christ, and this Christmas season, I wonder if we do. Frankly, as I was turning this over in my mind this week, I thought, you know, if you just raise these questions, and if we ask the question, do we value Christ as we should, then all of us would say, no, I really don't. That's not a really positive note before Christmas. A little guilt. A little guilt can be a good thing, but we need to go on from there. So, if you're like me, and you do an assessment, and you realize, you know, I don't value the Lord as I should, as I ought, as He deserves and is worthy of, then let me suggest two things that you do this week, this Christmas season, to simply raise our appreciation of who He is and what He's done. And the first is this. They're both simple. The first is simply to give thanks. Simply to give thanks. And, and by this, what I mean is, turn what would otherwise become idols into things we simply give thanks to Jesus Christ for. Okay? So, something like this. When you smell Christmas dinner cooking this week, I guess it's Saturday, instead of idolizing another good meal, do this instead. Simply thank the Lord Jesus Christ for the good meal that you're going to be able to sit down and enjoy. Thank the Lord Jesus as the one who gives us every good gift to enjoy. Or this week, when you sit down with your friends or family and you open Christmas presents, instead of fixating on the money or one particular gift or another, look at the gift and think this, Lord, thank you for that nice gift that so-and-so gave me, that ultimately comes from your good hand, you the one who gives us all good things to enjoy. Do you see what I mean? Take what could otherwise be idols and turn that around and say to the Lord, thank you for this thing you've given me to enjoy and appreciate. When you enjoy the company of family and friends this week related to Christmas gatherings, thank the one who created all of us in his image so that we can enjoy their presence and their fellowship. He's the one who's given us the ability to do that with each other. So take this week, this Christmas season, what's left of it, and in those things that you could turn into idols, turn them into opportunities to thank the Lord himself for all the good things he's given us. That puts things back in the proper perspective anyway. It always does. Because every good thing we enjoy comes from the hand of the Lord. And so when we turn and give thanks to him, we're acknowledging he's the source of the gifts we get to appreciate. The second thing is this. It's to meditate. And when you use this term, a lot of times people think of work. And in a sense it is. But think about, take a moment this week, either as an individual or with your family, How about just opening up your Bible? Do nothing more than read a passage out of Isaiah 9. I'll quote here in a minute at least part of it. Or to read 
Luke or Matthew, just related to the Christmas story, just think a minute about who Jesus is, what he did for you and I, what he gave up, where he came from, what he took on on our behalf. And I'll give you, this is my list. This is a quick list. I I put this together in less than five minutes just to think about who he is. I think the reason, primarily, that we fail to value Christ rightly or as we should or as he deserved is because at some significant level we fail to see his glory. We fail to see him or apprehend him as he is. And so this week, this Christmas season, take a moment, take several moments, and think about who he is. Renew your mind, fill your mind with thoughts about who Christ is. I'm going to Genesis through Revelation here in just some, some things the Scripture says about Jesus, I, and I have not referenced them. He's the seed of Adam and Eve who crushed the serpent's head to save and heal us. He's the one who holds the scepter from the tribe of Judah. He's the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud that led Israel in the wilderness. He's the rock from whom the water came. He is the water that nourished Israel in the wilderness. He's the shining cloud of glory that filled Solomon's temple. He's the one Isaiah saw in heaven high and lifted up whose glory filled the temple. He is the child of Isaiah 9.6, wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father, prince of peace. He's the rod of Jesse. He's the lily of the valley. He's the bright morning star. He's the son of righteousness out of Malachi 4, who will yet rise with healing in his wings. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the creator and sustainer of this world and all life in it. He's the author of our faith. He's the captain of the hosts of the armies of heaven. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he's the lion from the tribe of Judah who has overcome sin and death. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's the source of all life. He's the one before whom all heaven and earth will one day flee away. He's the bridegroom who is even now waiting for his wedding day in heaven. By the way, that's for you and I in his presence. He's the consummation of the ages. On him all eternity rests. He's the delight of the Father and the one whom the Spirit loves to unveil and reveal. He is worthy. Do we see him as he is? Do we turn over in our mind who he is? Because if we do, we begin to see his glory. We begin to see him as he is and value him rightly. So this Christmas, ask yourself, do I value Christ? as I should, I wonder. This week, what a wonder the Incarnation is. The Freaky Friday that happened to Jesus leaving heaven for East Topeka. Deity becoming a caterpillar, as it were, a worm. Or what a great season to wonder, do we value Christ as we ought, as he deserves? Let me close with this poem. This is called A Hymn for Christmas Day, written by Thomas Chatterton. Almighty Framer of the skies, O let our pure devotion rise like incense in thy sight. Wrapped in impenetrable shade, the texture of our souls were made till thy command gave light. The sun of glory gleamed the ray, refined the darkness into day, And bid the vapors fly, impelled by his eternal love, he left his palaces above 
to cheer our gloomy sky. How shall we celebrate the day when God appeared in mortal clay, the mark of worldly scorn, when the archangel's heavenly lays attempted the Redeemer's praise and hailed salvation's morn? A humble form of Godhead wore, the pains of poverty he bore, to gaudy pomp unknown. Though in a human walk he trod, still was the man, almighty God, in glory all his own. Despised, oppressed, the Godhead bears the torments of this veil of tears, nor bade his vengeance rise. He saw the creatures he had made revile his power, his peace invade. He saw with mercy's eyes. How shall we celebrate his name who groaned beneath a life of shame in all afflictions tried. The soul is raptured to conceive a truth which being must believe the God eternal died. My soul, exert thy powers, adore. Upon devotion's plumage soar to celebrate the day. The God from whom creation sprung shall animate my grateful tongue. From him I'll catch the lay. Father, it just strikes me that not only must you save and redeem us at your cost through your Son, but you must also empower us to rightly apprehend your glory. Lord, to see you and to value you as is your due. Lord Jesus, this Christmas season... In all the gifts, let let us give thanks. Lord, in all the giving, let us give thanks. And Lord, this week, as we ponder and as we meet with family and friends, help us regain a sense of wonder at the gift that was your incarnation and crucifixion, Lord, and resurrection. And Lord, this Christmas season, help us to behold your glory afresh. Help us to value you as we ought. We ask for your help in doing that. By your Spirit, Lord, do that. In Jesus' name, amen.